Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The stock market edged lower last week as it digested a cross-current of conflicting economic data and contrasting comments from Fed officials. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was flat at negative 0.01%, while the S&P 500 declined by 0.69%. The NASDAQ Composite Index lost 1.57% for the week, and the MSCI EFID Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, fell 0.88%. So what does that mean for the Dow? Well, the Dow closed at 33,745, that's down 7.13% for the year. The NASDAQ closed at 11,146, that's down 28.76% for the year. Uh, MSCI EFA index closed at 1,901, that's down 18.60% for the year. And the S&P 500 closed at 3,965, and that is down negative 16.8% for the year. The 10-year Treasury note closed below 4% at 3.82%. That's year-to-date up 2.30%. Stocks slipped. So um, stocks took a spill after Fed officials' comments cast uncertainty about future rate hikes. The more hawkish comments soured investors' hope for imminent easing in Fed rate hikes, a prospect that helped fuel the market rally the previous week. Concerns over the hawkish Comments raised investor worries over recession risks, anxiety exacerbated by weak housing data and layoff announcements from major technology companies. The economic picture, however, included some encouraging news as retail sales rose and producer price index uh, increases moderated. So as producer prices ease, uh, so the, the producer price index, PPI, it reflects the costs paid by domestic producers seen as an indicator of future consumer prices is not typically a market moving event. That was not the case last week. October's PPI rose a modest 0.2%, well below the 0.4% consensus estimate. The year over year increase moderated to 8% compared to 8.4% in September and the peak of 11.7% in March. The eye-catching element may have been the 0.1% service decline representing the first decline since November 2020. Excluding food and energy, the PPI was flat for the month and up 6.7% from a year ago. This week, economic data. Uh, Wednesday, durable goods orders, jobless claims, purchasing managers index or PMI composite, new home sales, consumer sentiment, the FOMC minutes. This week, companies reporting earnings, Dell Technologies on Monday, Zoom Video Communications, Tuesday, Best Buy, Dollar Tree, Autodesk, Analog Devices, Wednesday, Deere and Company or John Deere. And and this week's tax tip, what to know about non-employee compensation. If you hired an independent contractor for your business, you are generally not responsible for withholding income taxes, social security, or Medicare taxes from their compensation. 
However, by law, business taxpayers who pay non-employee compensation of $600 or more must report these payments to the IRS. You can report these payments using the form 1099-NEC or non-employee compensation. Generally, form 1099-NEC is due by January 31st. The compensation you report is subject to backup withholding if your business has not provided a tax identification number to the payer or the TIN doesn't match. It's important to be aware of this rule regarding non-employee comp because employees and contractors are taxed differently. But you need to note if your payment exceeds the $600 limit. And again, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And this is a fun little tidbit. How to use coffee grounds in your garden. Not only does coffee give us the caffeine we need to power through the day, but it also gives your garden the boost it needs to grow and thrive. Coffee grounds can improve your soil, deter pets, and give your plants the necessary nutrients. To add coffee grounds to your garden, you can add them to your existing compost material or directly to the soil itself. Coffee grounds are quote, green and quote, composite materials that are high or rich in uh, nitrogen. Because of this, ensure you balance your compost with brown materials such as newspaper, cardboard, or dead plant material. If you add the grounds directly to the soil, sprinkle them, sprinkle them evenly rather than dump them in piles so they can expel nitrogen into the soil. And this tip was adapted from the spruce. So check them out. All right, on to the next segment. So as promised, I would do a quick follow-up on the FTX collapse. And here we go. Um, I just want to also say, boy, has a lot come out about this and only more is going to keep coming out. So it's worth following if you're interested in a, a mega drama saga and a financial collapse that I don't think our industry or the financial services industry or world has really ever seen before. So it's uh, pretty fascinating to watch. Um, this was an article released on uh, November 17th. And basically, here's how we go with this. Um, there's multiple articles about it. I've posted on social media, CNBC, and a lot of the big wires are picking up this story. But it's the guy who oversaw Enron's liquidation says FTX collapse is worse. One of the company's auditors boasted that it was the first CPA firm to open in a metaverse headquarters. Veteran bankruptcy pro John L. Ray III, the newly appointed FTX CEO, um, taking over for Sam Bankman-Fried, or what's now known as SBF, just so you know, um, said that the collapsed crypto exchange was the worst corporate failure he's ever witnessed, and he oversaw the liquidation of Enron. Here's some of what Ray wrote in an absolutely bonkers bankruptcy filing yesterday. He said, quote, I have over 40 years of legal and restructuring experience. I have been the chief restructuring officer, chief executive officer in several of the largest corporate failures in history. I have supervised situations involving allegations of criminal activity and malfeasance, referring to Enron. And then he said, goes on to say, Near, nearly every situation in which I've been involved has been characterized by defects of some sort in internal controls, regulatory compliance, human resources and systems integrity, 
Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as what had occurred here. So why such a dumpster fire? Well, how long do you have? Here are just a few examples of the chaos and mismanagement that went on at FTX as described by Ray. Number one, lack of spending controls. FTX employees submitted payment requests through a chat platform, which were approved with personalized emojis. Some corporate funds were used to buy homes and personal items for employees and advisors, according to Ray. Number two, non-existent records. Speaking of FTX employees, Ray said his team is having a hard time piecing together just who worked at the company because they couldn't find any official roster. Furthermore, there are no records of major business decisions made by FTX because former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried allegedly made those using auto-deleting messages. Finally, Ray really wants you to know that SBF has nothing to do with the company anymore. In his tweets and conversations with the press, SBF has continued to make, quote, erratic and misleading public statements, end quote, and he does not speak for the current iteration of FTX, according to Ray. I think we could all use a cold shower after that story, according to The Morning Brew, um, where I picked this up and thought that they, they wrote that summary. Well, I've read multiple other articles that say essentially the same thing. But this is like a big-time fraud. And so if you are buying cryptocurrencies out there on the uh, exchanges, just beware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's a speculative investment or a speculative venture. And um, and it's going to be challenged uh, to make their use case viable going forward here as a lot of this is going to trickle down into all different types of cri cryptocurrencies um, all the way down to the blockchain and then the, the exchanges themselves that provide custody. Uh, and so I think this is going to put a pause button uh, pressed on this entire industry. And so those of you who are dabbling or investing or speculating into the crypto markets, um, you know, just uh, size appropriately and be uh, mindful of and as, and as educated as you can if you're engaging in that. Um, over here at Northbound Wealth Management, what we do is we're long-term investors. We basically stick to uh, index funds, mutual funds, individual stocks, and a portfolio allocation that's based on your goals and objectives that's on a more of a traditional market environment. Um, so uh, if you're interested in that really boring stuff, I'm happy to help. We're happy to help walk you through how you can be positioning yourself for long-term success. We really appreciate you listening to this podcast. Managing God's Money, a biblical guide by Randy Alcorn. Guys, gals, listeners, um, this is a integral book um, that I've read and, um, just want to share with you an excerpt out of it. The very beginning of the book, the introduction, I believe that you will find it valuable. And if it is something that you're interested in, um, please go out, do not hesitate and pick up this book, read it, and you'll find a lot of freedom in it and a lot of 
great things to apply to your financial life. So Randy Alcorn does a fantastic job here. Here's the intro. Our perspective on money and possessions and how we handle them lies at the very heart of Christian life. Does that sound like an overstatement? It's not. The Bible emphatically demonstrates how we view our money and possessions as the utmost of importance. What we do with them will influence eternity. The title of this book, Managing God's Money, is not some cute figurative expression. It's a precise depiction of what the Bible says we are, God's money managers. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. That was in Luke 16, 1 through 2 in the NIV. This parable, like other stewardship parables, shows that God, who is infinitely rich and owns all things, has assigned to human beings management responsibilities over his assets. We can manage his money and possessions well, or, as in the case of this man, poorly. One day we will stand before God and give an account of how we have managed what belongs to him. Have we taken good care of it? using it wisely for the purposes he approves of, or have we misused or wasted it? Now, it might seem unfair that we won't formally answer to God for our work as his asset managers until our lives here are done and it's too late to implement changes based on his performance review. But it's not unfair. Why? Because God has recorded in the Bible everything we need to know about his investment priorities, his high standards of management, and the rewards he offers his faithful stewards. God's word is his kingdom manifesto, his investment manual, and his code of business ethics. When we stand before him at the end of our lives, suppose we say, but God, you didn't tell me this all belonged to you. You didn't say that it was my job to do with it what you wanted me to do. You never told me how to conduct my business, and you never made it clear which investments you considered important. He would only need to lift up the Bible and reply, yes, I did. You simply didn't pay attention. That's why the pages of managing God's money contain a great deal of scripture. God's words are far more valuable than anything I have to say because he is, after all, the creator and owner of the universe. He promises that my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent. So God does not make that promise about your words or my words or the words of any investment guru, but only about his word. This book won't tell you how to achieve your financial goals, but it will provide the light in which your financial goals should be formulated. That's why the central focus of the book is not insurance, but assurance, not securities, but security, not trusts, but trust, not principle, but principles not real estate, but real estate. You will not find any net worth calculations, which we easily mistake for self-worth calculations, but you will see how God measures your life's worth. You won't find advice about tax shelters, IRA contributions, or choosing between term and whole life insurance. There is a place for such things, but only after a close look at what God has to say about money. That is the purpose of this book. So where are we headed in managing God's money? Turn back and look through the table of contents and you'll see not only section and chapter titles, but also headings within chapters. 
These will give you a clear picture of the book's contents. You may skip forward to a chapter of particular interest, say on eternal rewards, tithing, lifestyle, debt, or retirement. But keep in mind that much of the biblical foundation for how to approach those areas has been laid earlier in the book. Every section and chapter builds on previous ones. And whether you go through this as an individual or as a group, you'll experience the greatest benefit if you read it sequentially. When we see money as a toy to play with instead of a tool to impact eternity, our vision becomes short-sighted and unfocused. As a result, our financial decisions and lifestyles become equally short-sighted and unfocused. Instead of acting like God's money managers, we live foolishly and wastefully, taking our cues not from the owner, but from the world around us, which neither knows nor cares about what God wants us to do with money. We need to learn to think and live differently. As Martin Luther put it, there are three conversations necessary in the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, the mind, and the purse. We were made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person and heaven is the place. Letting the eternal perspective pervade our lives, including our view of what it means to be God's money managers, will unlock the door to an exhilarating Christian discipleship where following Christ is not a comforting yet meaningless cliche about an electrifying life-changing reality. So there you go. And it dives into money and possessions. So um, whether you're a uh, follower of Christ or a believer or not, um, it doesn't matter because a lot of the biblical principles that are talked about in the book and in the Bible um, actually are very sound principles and make sense even if you don't believe in Jesus or Christ or, or Christian or Maybe you're an atheist, or maybe you're a part of a, another faith-based group, maybe Hindu or Buddhist or um, whatever. Um, there's universal principles that can be applied, pulling from the foundation elements of the Bible and, and, and Christian uh, perspectives on finance. Hopefully you enjoyed it and you pick up the book. It's been out for a long time. And I just wanted to give you guys one other great resource uh, that you can apply to your life. So good morning, unless you're Larry David or Tom Brady, in which case, good luck. Those two plus nine more celebrities who endorsed crypto Titanic FTX were named in a proposed class action lawsuit filed late Tuesday by an account holder. Larry David appeared in a now seemingly prophetic Super Bowl ad for the company last year in which he was told FTX was a, quote, safe and easy way to get into crypto, end quote, and replied, quote, yeah, I don't think so, end quote. It's unclear who exactly the joke is on now, but crypto celebs would do well to curb their enthusiasm. That's the lead into the daily upside on November 17th. Of course, you guys know that I like this publication. The US has a multi-trillion dollar hangover and the debt market is its remedy of choice. The New York Federal Reserve revealed US household debt is growing at its fastest rate since the famously inauspicious year of 2008. The figures showed that Americans are leaning harder on their credit cards as prices soar. At the same time, a report from the Wall Street Journal suggests they're increasingly turning to their homes 
uh, for credit balances. What could go wrong? So it's do-it-yourself debt, right? U.S. net worth started to take a troubling dip this year with J.P. Morgan Chase estimating a $5 trillion drop in May and predicting a potential $9 trillion shrinkage by year end. With inflation driving the price of spending way up and the buying habits returning to pre-pandemic patterns, ordinary Americans are having to use debt to plug the gap. Credit card balances rose 15% in the third quarter compared to the last year, but some are getting more creative with their debt structuring. Okay, that's important. Data provided to the Wall Street Journal by real estate analytics firm Adam Data Solutions showed 40% uptick in applications for home equity lines of credit or HELOCs compared to last year. That's huge. HELOCs let homeowners borrow money against the value of their property, essentially turning their house into a giant credit card. Albeit one that won't fit in your wallet unless you live in Manhattan. So an aside about this revelation is that here at Northbound Wealth Management, we don't believe that you should use your home for that type of thing um, to go out and get a second or a home equity line of credit um, to then just pay everyday expenses and bills on. That's not appropriate. That's not what uh, a good financial advisor would say to do. Um, although lots of people think it's totally fine. It, imagine all the home equity you have and it's a giant $100,000, $200,000 credit card. Now, you can use HELOCs and home equity loans for you know, maybe improving your property. Um, it might be a low, lower cost way to do that, <clears throat> like a kitchen remodel, which will then do what for your home? Increase the value of your home because improving your kitchen, your bathrooms um, are one of the biggest increases in your home value if you're going to look to sell it at some point in the future. Um, U.S. homeowners took out $66 billion in HELOCs in the second quarter of 2022, according to Adam Data Solutions. They can be particularly helpful for people looking to give their homes a makeover rather than look for somewhere new to live in an increasingly unappetizing housing market. HELOCs are not available to everyone and with many young Americans having been frozen out of the market and not every property qualifies, plus defaulting on a HELOC can result in, hear this, foreclosure. <laughs> Despite the risk, more Americans are looking at HELOCs as a lifeline. Marking the first time that trend has moved upward since 2009, guys. The pinnacle of the mortgage crisis. Clients are saying that they want a safety net as credit card bills rise Along with unemployment fears, a senior loan officer at Hometown Lenders told uh, uh, of Texas told the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, across the pond, okay, think of overseas uh, markets, debt markets in the UK, for example, look to send the housing market into a death spiral. Bloomberg reported Wednesday that the steep cost of borrowing could tank UK house or home prices as much as 20%. With inflation outpacing wage increases, unemployment rates creeping upwards, and shorter mortgage durations than the US, 
Banks, including Goldman Sachs, are predicting a greater risk of mortgage delinquency in the UK than elsewhere. A stiff upper lip might not cut it this time. Oh, by the way, inflation came out today. And the reason why I'm recording this on uh, this, this segment on the 17th is because I saw that inflation's 11% in Europe. And it's there's no sign of it peaking. Isn't that crazy? So it is a big deal. Imagine having to pay a 12% mortgage. That's, you know, that's double what we're seeing here in the U.S. Um, now, Jay Powell's really focused on um, raising interest rates to slow down economic activity. And then um, that that should break loose. Um, he's taking a playbook out of Volcker's uh, playbook back then. And hopefully that corrects the issue. But um, looks like there might be more pain ahead. In other news, NASA launches Artemis 1. The third moon landing is to come. So basically, <clears throat> Cape Canaveral, we have liftoff. Early Wednesday morning, NASA launched its Artemis 1 shuttle, an uncrewed test craft that sets the stage for American astronauts return to the moon's surface for the first time in 50 years. It's one small step for man and one giant leap for the space economy. So the original space race was more about the Cold War bragging rights than anything else. Soviet Union put up the first humans in space in 1961. Cosmonaut Yuri Gargan orbited the Earth in a matter of one hour and 48 minutes. The U.S. thought anything you can do, I can do better and achieve the first moon landing eight years later with the Apollo 11 mission. They did it six more times, but since 1972, no one has stepped foot on the moon. So why go back after a half century? Well, instead of just showcasing technological might and patriotism, there's infinite money to be made in the celestial skies. The space economy, everything from mining precious metals on the moon to creating medicine in controlled low gravity environments and even commercial travel was estimated to be worth $469 billion in 2021, according to a Space Foundation report. All around the world, investments in space tech, both public and private, has blasted off. After multiple delays and ballooning budgets, the Artemis program and its first three missions will cost $93 billion in taxpayer money by the time it wraps up in 2025. The rockets alone, which are only good for one use, cost a whopping $20 billion to develop. Plus, NASA has already awarded booster and rocket contracts for missions up to Artemis 13. Global government spending on pace, uh, global government spending on space ventures jumped 19% in 2021. American companies outpace any other nations too, investing more than 28 billion in space tech last year. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, all successfully launched shuttles in the past three years. We're going back to the moon to learn, to live, to work, to survive, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said during a news conference recently. After building a moon base, which is apparently the goal, the final goal of the Artemis program is to land humans on Mars, another potential source for mining and colonization. That's at least a decade away from being a reality, though. And while the moon is a quick three-day flight, a trip to Mars will likely take seven months. Wow, that's amazing. 
Okay. The amount of money being spent on space. I mean, I, I, I think it's great. It's awesome. We have the ability to do that, but there are an awful lot of problems down here on planet earth and inside the U S that that money could go to taxpayer money could go to. So, um, I'm just a little bit confused as to what the heck is going on at times. It, it just doesn't make sense. And I don't think that I'm alone in feeling and thinking that way when I look around. So anyway, <clears throat> let's just keep going. I sent out an email last week and it's called Retirement Insights for November 2022. This this news and information is for current and future retirees. It starts out with a quote, the great thing about getting older is that you get a chance to tell people in your life who matter what they mean to you. And Mike Love said that. Um, Do you understand the social security earnings penalty? If you keep working or return to work after receiving social security benefits, your benefits may seem reduced if your annual income exceeds a certain threshold. This phenomenon is known as the social security earnings penalty. The earnings penalty can potentially affect you if you are younger than social security's full retirement age or FRA for short, which it ranges between 66 and 67 years old for baby boomers. Before you reach your FRA or full retirement age, Social Security will deduct $1 from your benefit payments for every $2 you earn above its yearly earnings limit. For 2022, that limit is $19,560. Similarly, Social Security deducts $1 in benefits for every $3 you earn above another threshold in the year you reach your full retirement age. For 2022, this limit is $51,960. Both of these limits get adjusted for inflation. The cut to your monthly retirement benefit applies for the remaining months of the calendar year after you earned your income. The cut to your monthly retirement benefit applies for the remaining months of a calendar year after your earned income tops the annual limit. The good news is that once you reach your full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want without impacting your Social Security benefits. In the big picture, this reduction in your Social Security benefits is temporary. Once you reach your full retirement age, Social Security recalculates your retirement benefits and credits you for the months when you didn't receive them because of the earnings penalty, which implies larger retirement benefits for you in the future. Here's a golf tip for you guys that are retired or about to retire. Too many golfers suffer from the yips, which is missing putts three feet or less due to anxiety. The fix is to practice these putts. You will never avoid during a round. Go to a green, take five or six balls, arrange them in a circle about three feet from the cup with their logos pointing towards the hole. For each ball, read the putt, commit to the read, make the stroke. When you complete all six, repeat the drill from four feet out to five feet if you like, giving you a routine to instill confidence and hone your stroke. For some reason, I want to say this golf tip was brought to you by Lucky Beer. Um, Anyway, a study published in July in Neurology, the Medical Journal of American 
Academy of Neurology concluded that adults with exercise had 35% lower risk of developing neurological issues than those involved in infrequent activity. The researchers determined that even regularly doing household chores lowered risks by 21%. They asked questions of more than 500,000 members of the United Kingdom's biobank where uh, individuals can record their genetic and health information. Biobank followed these individuals for approximately 11 years for the study. Another study of more than 70,000 individuals from the same UK health database casts a vote for brisk walking. It gets the blood going and the brain may have distinct benefits. This study led by researchers from Spain's University of Cadiz and the University of Southern Denmark asserts that walking between 3,800 to 9,800 steps each day lowers your risk of neurological issues. To quantify this finding a bit further, the researchers report that people aged 40 to 79 who took at least 9,800 steps each day cut their chances of developing neurological issues in the next seven years by 50%. On the bright side, the Senior Citizens League, an advocacy group for elder Americans, presents a forecast of the next of next year's Social Security Cost of Living Adjustment, or COLA, each fall, based on data from the Consumer Price Index. Late in the third quarter, the SCL saw Social Security retirement benefits getting their largest COLA since 1981, and that's an 8.7% boost for 2023. At press time, we learned that their prediction was correct. By 2030, there's 78 million Americans going to be over the age of 65, FYI. So hopefully uh, we have enough people, uh, a birth rate to make up for that exodus. It's the banker's riddle. Whoever makes it tells it not. Whoever takes it knows it not. Whoever knows it wants it not. What is it? The answer is counterfeit money. There you go. With that, we'll move on to the next segment. The warmth of the holiday meal beckons. Thanksgiving is a time for gathering with loved ones and observing gratitude. So as you gather around the table, look around and give thanks for the family and friends surrounding you. Give thanks too for those who may be far away and those who have passed into memory. The people in our lives make us who we are, enriching our experiences and giving our days meaning. Taking the time to share a special moment with them is one of life's great experiences. This is also true for the people we choose to work with. Thank you for making me part of your team this past year and in the future. It's a pleasure. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Have a great Thanksgiving.